To start today, I'd like to talk a little bit about the sculpture you'll see on the next slide. Have any of you seen this sculpture before? It's called Homeless Jesus. And you can tell it's Jesus if you look very closely at the feet. You see the wounds in the feet. This sculpture was cast by Timothy Schmalz, a devout Catholic. And this portrays Jesus as an unhoused person sleeping on a park bench. Brings two scriptures to mind. First is Matthew 8, 58, where Jesus tells a would-be disciple, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the second calls to mind our gospel reading today, when Jesus tells both sheep and goats, just as you did or did not do it to one of the least of these who are my siblings, you did or did not do it to me. Sculpture is provocative. It's challenging. It has had a polarizing reaction. This is borne out by the fact that several times, after a copy of this sculpture is installed someplace, police have been called to report a homeless person sleeping on a park bench. In one notorious instance, the sculpture went up. 20 minutes later, the police were called. And while it's easy to look down on such callers as out-of-touch jerks who lack compassion, we may do well to examine our own discomfort first. As much as we may agree that Jesus is found in the most vulnerable, as much as we may have hearts to serve those less fortunate than we are, isn't it true that there is something about open vulnerability, this kind of naked vulnerability, that makes us deeply uncomfortable? When I lived in Chicago as a seminary student, I learned to develop blinders. Keep looking straight ahead where you're going, neither to the left nor to the right. Don't look at that guy playing drums on the street or that other guy beatboxing on the subway. Don't look at that gal selling flowers or that guy selling copies of Streetwise. And especially don't look at Harold, who likes to hang around the seminary and cycles through three or four different stories about why he needs a few bucks. Just try to get through the day. Go about your business. It becomes easier to deal with humanity when you, don't have, when you are willfully blind to its ugly side. But is this living our best life? Now this phrase is kind of a loaded phrase. It calls to mind a certain prosperity preacher who made millions promoting a book with a similar title. On top of this, the phrase, living my best life, is often, often accompanies that infernal hashtag blessed that I've ranted about a few times up here, which you see on social media. That's not the kind of life we're talking about. We're talking about our best life in terms of eternal life, which Jesus speaks of today. And eternal life doesn't just begin when Jesus invites the sheep to enter the kingdom, but begins from our baptism and continues throughout eternity. What does it mean to live our best life, a shalom life, a whole life in the here and now, prepared 
for eternity, especially in light of this story of the Last Judgment. While we might think this story is uniquely terrifying, Jesus isn't saying anything here that he hasn't already said. This is just the cap on it. He's already said there will be a great separation between weeds and wheat, clothed and unclothed wedding guests, wise and foolish bridesmaids. Showing a separation between sheep and goats is just saying the same thing. The troubling thing, the problem, and what makes us so uncomfortable is that Jesus is so plain about it here. There's no mistaking his meaning. The standard for judgment is crystal clear. Works of mercy. Works of mercy. And while some interpreters, perhaps correctly, think that this standard has to do with unbelievers, that Christians are judged by the different standard, by faith in Christ and unbelievers by works of mercy, after all, you have all the nations gathered, whether they knew Jesus or not, and sheep, neither sheep nor goats know that they're serving Christ. Such an interpretation can sidestep this parable quite neatly. Well, that doesn't apply to us. Whew. That would save us quite easily from this text and from its implications. But in any case, the questions don't go away, do they? Did we, Christian or not, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, care for the sick, welcome the stranger? Or did we more often put on blinders? Here's the ugly truth. All too often, I am weeds. I am a foolish bridesmaid, unprepared for the groom's arrival. I am the one caught at the party without the right clothing. I am the slave who will not forgive a tiny debt after being forgiven such a huge one. I am a goat. So are most of us, I guess. We get so wrapped up in ourselves and our immediate concerns that we can fail to see our neighbors as neighbors. We can fail to see the image of Christ in our neighbors or even in ourselves a lot of the time. The first step to living our best life may be recognizing how desperately we need God's mercy and how desperately we need repentance. We need a radical reorientation of life, a different way of viewing ourselves and our neighbors. Like St. Paul, we often don't do the good we want to do, but we do the evil that we hate. We need grace. We need to be reformed and transformed into good wheat, into properly attired wedding guests, forgiving slaves, sheep. The good news is that this mercy, that this grace, this transformation, this radical reorientation of life is given to us freely. It's given to us by Jesus through the Spirit. Jesus, this man without a place to lay his head, this craftsman turned rabbi from backwater Galilee, this executed criminal who rose again, is God's Messiah. And on his cross, he opens his arms to all people, 
He opens his arms to you and to me. He leaves the 99 sheep in the wilderness so that he can bring the one lost sheep, humanity, back home. This is powerful mercy, which is given to us in our baptism, which is renewed at this communion table and lived out in the world. Such mercy is not just active on Sunday morning, of course, but it is the foundation of the whole Christian life. Living out this mercy is living our best life. Such mercy can't be contained. It will be lived out in our wider world, even in a world that seems bleaker and bleaker by the day. As Luther wrote in his small catechism, God's kingdom comes with or without our prayer, but we ask that it may also come about in us. Such mercy will be extended to those Jesus declared blessed in the Beatitudes. Remember back then, it's been a long time since we talked about the Beatitudes. But those folks, poor in spirit, the mourning, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, are often thought to be cursed by the world. They will receive mercy. Our choice being recipients of this mercy is this. Will we permit God's mercy to be lived out through us or not? Will we get out of God's way or not? Lutherans often don't like to talk about choices when it comes to faith, because faith is, after all, a gift from God. And that's true. Our salvation is entirely the work of God. However, just because our salvation is entirely God's work doesn't mean we don't have our own work to do. Just because I hope some word of God is getting through this sermon doesn't mean that I can just let the Holy Spirit inspire me up here and not do any preparation. That probably wouldn't be a very edifying experience for you. It wouldn't be very fun for me either. We have our own work to do. It's taking the blinders off. It's getting out of the way of God's mercy. It's really seeing someone else as bearing Christ's image just as we bear it. Such mercy is a way of life, and such a life is our best life. It is the fruit of the eternal life we're given in our baptism. In such mercy, there is no enough. There is no measurement. There are no points kept. It is simply our grateful response to God's gift in Jesus Christ. So we're freed, folks. We're given God's mercy so that we can be merciful. We can be the transformed people of God that God has already made us to be, carrying the image of Christ, seeing Christ's image around us. Thanks be to God. Amen.